Chapter 21 of History of England in Words of One Syllable. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Dykeshorn. History of England in Words of One Syllable by Helen W. Pearson. Chapter 21, George III. George III had been born in England, so he had some love for the land, its folks, and its ways. He was a good man, and sought to do what he thought right, and he was firm as a rock when he felt he was right. He would ride or walk through a street or field as if he were just a plain squire, with no pomp or state. He would talk to the folks of their work and their lives, and ask all sorts of things, and say, What, 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 in a queer way that made them laugh. His wife was a German princess by the name of Charlotte, and they brought up their boys and girls in the right way. At least they did their best to make them good. As soon as George III came to the throne, a war broke out in America. They did not like a new tax that had been laid on the tea which was in use there. They got it straight from China, and thought no one had a right to tax it. So though they were more fond of the strength than the English were in those days, they gave it up and threw whole shiploads in the stream. Then they all rose in a great fight to get free from English rule, and a man by the name of George Washington took the head of the troops. The French, who were not friends with the English, lent help to the Americans. There was a great man by the name of Benjamin Franklin sent to the court of France to win them as friends. He had found out strange things. You know in a storm how there is a fierce light at times, which tears through a cloud, and now and then strikes a house or barn and burns it to the ground. Franklin found out how to lead this from a house, so that no harm could be done. And now you can see wires that run down the sides of a house or a church. They are set in glass here and there, so that they lead the strange force straight into the ground, and make the house or church safe, so that it cannot be struck. On the 17th of June, 1775, a fight took place at Bunker Hill near Boston. The day was hot. The Americans had put their men back of a rail fence, which they had made out to stuff with hay so as to make it a sort of screen. They had no food, and were for the most part raw troops who did not know drill, and they had poor arms. But the British had to march through a field, and they were in full sight. They felt the great heat, such as they had not known in England, and they had food in stores and packs on their backs. When the word fire was heard and the smoke was gone, the ground was seen strewn with British dead. A great cheer went up from the forts, and cheers came from back of the rail fence. The British wore red coats and could be seen from far, so their loss was great. But in time, the Americans had spent their last charge and had to fall back as best they could. The British had shown stout hearts to march up in the face of such a fire. On July the 4th, 1776, what is known as the Declaration of Independence was drawn up, and some of the best men who were at the head of things in the states put their names to it. All the states but New York gave a vote for this and then it was thought to be a time for the United States to have a flag of its own. Congress said it should have red and white stripes, a stripe for each of the states, and a white star for each state in a blue field. When a new state comes in, a new star is put on the flag. Lord Howe wrote to George Washington, Esquire, 
to say what terms of peace King George would give the Americans. But Washington chose to have his name as head of the troops put on all his notes, so he took no heed of this one. Then there was naught left but for how to fight. At first the Americans lost, and Washington had to leave New York in the hands of the British. His men were in want of clothes, and some of them had no shoes. He felt that he must strike a blow at once. There were some Hessian troops at Trenton, who had come from Germany to help the English. It was Christmas, and Washington knew that these folks would keep the day with feasts. So on the night of that day, in a storm of sleet, he set out to cross the Delaware, and at day dawn he was on the Hessians and took them all, and their headman fell in this fight. So the Americans fought on year by year, and all saw that they would have their rights and be free. Some wise men told George the Third that he had best give up the war with them. The old Lord Chatham did not think so, and came up from his home to make a speech, for he would not have England give up aught. But just as he went to speak, he fell to the floor in a faint, and did not live but a month from that time. George the Third at last gave up all rights to the land now known as the United States of America. These states then set up a form of rule which has gone on since that day. They have no king but a president for whom they vote on once in four years. England won much in India in this reign. The chief grief of George the Third was that some of his sons were wild and fast young men. The Prince of Wales was vain of his fine looks, and his whole aim was to dress well and set the mode in taste. He spent vast sums in wrong ways and sought to vex the king and queen as much as he could. He had a scorn for their plain style of life. William Pitt, the son of Lord Chatham, was the chief man in England in this reign. He sought to bring in a bill by which the Roman Catholics should have the same rights in all things as the Protestants. George III thought it would not be right for him to grant this, and there was so much strife that the king's health and brain gave way for a time. Just then there were sad scenes in France. The poor had been ground down in past reigns, and now when they had a good and kind king, Louis XVI, they rose in all parts of the land. He had to bear the scourge for the acts of a long line of kings. Mob law was the rule, and the folk sought to get rid of all the great ones in the land. Kings, priests, and men of rank lost their heads each day. This sad time is now known as the Great French Revolution. At last the French grew sick of strife and blood. A young man rose from the ranks by the name of Napoleon Bonaparte, and took the head of the land as the king had been slain. He beat the Germans and won all in his course. It was thought he would make France too strong for the rest of the world if they could not stop him. So when he went out to take Egypt and all the east, Lord Nelson took some ships and went there too, and beat the whole French fleet at the mouth of the Nile. Nelson next won in a fight with the Danes, and took all the Danish ships. Then when Spain made friends with France, Nelson beat them both at Cape Trafalgar. This was the last fight of this great man for he got his death wound there, to the grief of all. The war made it hard for those at home in England. Food and all things else were dear, and a high tax ground down the poor. But Napoleon was now emperor, and still had such strange luck in his fights that all lands were in awe of him. England felt the best way to keep him in bounds was to help the lands which were at war with him. The old king in his last days grew blind, 
and then came the death of Princess Amelia, the child of whom he was most fond. The cloud came on his mind once more, and he had to be shut up in Windsor, where his good wife stayed with him and did her best for him till her death. When George the Third lost his mind, his son, the Prince of Wales, was made regent. You know a regent is one who rules for a king. He went on to help Spain, which was at war with France in those days. Napoleon had put one of his own blood on the throne of Spain, and the folks sent out a call on England to help them. Sir John Moore went with some troops and won a fight at Corona, but a shot struck him and they had to wrap his cloak round him, put him in a grave there at the dead of night, and leave him. Then Sir Arthur Wellesley was sent out to Spain. In three years' time he drove the French from that land and gave chase to them, and won the fight of Toulouse on their own soil. This war was known as the Peninsular War. Sir Arthur Wellesley was made Duke of Wellington. By time all the lands of Europe rose to fight Napoleon, and at last they made him give up all he had won, and they brought back the king, Louis the Eighteenth, and Napoleon was sent to Elba, a small isle in the sea. But the next year he got back to France, where the troops were glad to see him. King Louis had to fly, and Napoleon was soon at the head of a large force. England and Prussia made haste to meet him, with Blucher and Wellington to lead their troops. They met him on the field of Waterloo in Belgium, and beat him so that he fled. He did not get off, though, but fell in the hands of his foes, and at last was sent to a lone isle in the Atlantic by the name of St. Helena. There he was kept for five years, when death set him free. Europe was at peace once more, but the blind old king knew naught of it. More than one change took place in the reign of George III. England had grown in wealth. Mails were sent in more swift ways on smooth, fine roads, and news was spread to the land each day. Books for the young first came out in this reign. Walter Scott wrote his great tales, and there were three men who wrote verse then which we read to this day. Their names are Wordsworth, Southey, and Coleridge. Men left off wigs and wore their own hair short and in curls. They wore blue coats and buff vests, and had tight stocks on their necks, and great shirt frills in their breasts. The dames had their gowns made short in the waist, and the skirts were plain and scant, but the sleeves were of a great size. They wore their hair in short curls low on the brows, and had hats with high crowns and large fronts. The death of George the Third came in 1820. End of chapter 21